Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. So when I was 14 years old, I got to do a trip to New Mexico. And it was a backpacking trip. And so I was backpacking for 10 days with a group. And we're in this beautiful New Mexico landscape. And I have 40 pounds in my backpack. And so we're hiking and hiking and hiking. And we're halfway through the trip. We're all exhausted. But we decided, middle of our trip, we're going to go hike the tallest mountain around us, Mount Baldy. And so we wake up super early. We start hiking. And the peak of it didn't seem any closer than when we started. <laughs> I mean, it's one of these mountains that's just massive. And so we're hiking, we're hiking, and I've never felt so out of shape in my life. I mean, I feel exhausted. And we finally, after hiking for hours and hours toward the end of the day, we finally make it to the peak of this mountain. And from the top, we're able to see everything all around us. We're able to see these clouds down below us, around the mountain, see some birds flying. We're able to see these beautiful green valleys extending off into the distance. There's this beautiful view from above. And the reason I'm sharing all this with you is because I feel like John's gospel is a little bit like Mount Baldy. What John is trying to do in his gospel is to take us all the way up to the peak. John is trying to give us this bird's eye view, this view from above about who Jesus is. John wants us to see these deep, powerful things about what it means for Jesus to be God and for him to be our creator and what it means for Jesus to be a human being and God. John is trying, John has traditionally been called the eagle. Out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is traditionally called the eagle because he's way up in the air. He's trying to take us into the clouds to see these big, high ideas about who Jesus is. And so we're so excited to be looking at John 1, 1 through 18. It's kind of, it's the prologue to John's gospel. He's summing up a lot of his big ideas. But I think the problem that many of us encounter, at least I know I do, is that our view of Jesus is often way too low. We oftentimes have a view of Jesus that he is average, that he is dull, and that he is boring. I know, at least for my heart, it's easy to feel apathetic about Jesus. And so what John is trying to do, he wants to take us all the way up to the peak. But the thing is, we often stay at the base of the mountain, and so we miss the full view about who Jesus is. There's a quote from the British writer Dorothy Sayers. This is what she says about how we find Jesus boring. She says, the people who hanged Christ never to do them justice accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have very efficiently paired the claws of the line of Judah, of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. We oftentimes have a view of Jesus that is boring and average. We think he is safe. We feel like he is, he's, he's dull. But what I want you to see today is that he is anything but. I want you to come with me 
as we look at this passage. I want you to come with me to the mountaintop, and we're going to see these beautiful ideas about Jesus, some of the most profound things that the Bible has to say about who Jesus is. We're going to see that Jesus is God. We're going to see that Jesus is our creator. And we're also going to see that Jesus is our incarnate savior. So I want to walk through this passage in that order. So let's start with the first one. But what does it mean for Jesus to be God? This is so incredible. What, what John says, essentially, is that Jesus is and has always been God. Jesus is God himself. He's not just a historical figure. He's not just an interesting person, but he is actually God. Look with me at John 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What John is basically saying is that before creation existed, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word, that's Jesus. That's the Son of God. And what John is saying is that the Word was with the Father, and the Word was God. Jesus was with the Father, and Jesus was God. This is incredible. What John is telling us is that Jesus is God. Before we keep going at this passage, I just want to lay out really clearly. I know this is a really big, heady doctrine to talk about. Can we be honest about that? Jesus is incredible, but what we're talking about today can be kind of tough to track with. We're talking about what does it mean for Jesus to have existed from eternity? What does it mean for Jesus to be God, for him to be... We'll talk about these ideas about what does it mean to be begotten and not made? What does it mean for Jesus to be a person and for the Father to be a different person and the Spirit, but to be one God. We're talking about, these are big ideas. So, but I just want to ask, would you please, would you come with me as we go to the mountaintop? Would, would you focus in right now? I know this is tough, but I want to try to explain this as simply and as clearly as I can. Okay? So let's walk through this passage together. And I, I want to just show you some of these ideas. So we, we saw already John 1, 1 through 2 that the word was with God and the word was God. And I want to reflect on a moment. Why does John say that Jesus is the word? Why is it? John, how come you call Jesus the word? Why didn't you call him something else? Why didn't you call him the foot of God? Or the, I don't know, some other idea. Why specifically would John choose word? Why is it his analogy? And I think it's this. It's because a word is something that we generate in our something that we think about comes out of our mouth. In that sense, a word, it's something that proceeds from us. It's something that, that comes from us. I think what John is trying to get at is that Jesus, the Son of God, actually comes from the Father. There is a sense in which the Son of God proceeds from the Father. You could say he comes from the Father. Think with me as well. There's, there's another word that John uses later in the passage where he calls Jesus the Son of God. I know we're, maybe if, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard that term, we call Jesus the Son of God. But I just want you to take a moment to reflect. Why Son? Why is Jesus the Son of God? Why not the coworker of God or the brother of God? What is it about Jesus that he is distinctly called the Son of God? And this is one of the most profound things, in my opinion, about who Jesus is. Jesus is called the Son of God because... A son comes from a father and a mother. But just for, for the sake of illustration, a son comes from a father. You could say that a son is begotten from a father. That word begotten, that's not one that we use at all today. That's like old English. Maybe if you have an old translation of the Bible, like the KJV, the King James Version, maybe you, you read all these and the only begotten son came from the father. 
Uh, but we don't use that word a lot. I want, to, I want to talk for a moment. What is begotten? What does begotten actually mean? Here's the definition that we'll have up on the screen. Begotten means to come forth from something, to proceed forth from something. What you could say is that the Son of God is begotten from the Father's essence, from his nature. The Son of God from eternity has come forth from the Father. I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that there was a moment in time when the Father is like, you know what? I think this is a good day to have a son. And just bam, Son of God exists. No, 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 no. From eternity past, forever and ever and ever, the Son of God has been coming forth from the Father. I'm not talking about when Jesus came as a baby. It's not what I mean. I don't mean when Jesus came and took on flesh. I mean, um, I mean in like in eternity, from eternity past, that the Son of God has been begotten of the Father. He's been coming forth from the Father, proceeding from the Father. Uh, there's some helpful language that the church has used to talk about this. This is uh, the church, all Christians. They have said that the Son is begotten by the Father, not made by the Father. This is a really important distinction. So I know we're talking, this is big, heady stuff. Um, but if you, let's, let's focus in, because I know this is so important about who Jesus is. Jesus is begotten from the Father, not made by the Father. You're like, Kyle, why does that matter? What's the difference? What's the difference between being begotten and made? Well, you beget something that's the same as you, but you make something that's different from you. So parents beget children. A human parent begets a human child. But we make things that are different from us. We make houses. We, we build um, we build things, you know, we, we make things that are different from us. What it means for Jesus to be begotten, it means that he is God from God. It means, it means that Jesus is truly God. If he were made, he'd be a creature. He'd be something that God created in time. But no, 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 Jesus is the son of God. That means from time past, Jesus has been coming forth from the father. He's been begotten from eternity. And so at this point, I do want to clarify too. You're like, okay, so Jesus is God and the Father is God. So does that mean two gods? Is that what you're saying, Kyle? The Father's God over here and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit. He's a third God. No, <laughs> that's also not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear. Deuteronomy 6 teaches there's one God. There's one God over everything. But there are distinct persons. The fa- there are three persons, but one God. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. And the Holy Spirit is a third person. Uh, I want to try to illustrate this a little bit the best I can, because I know, listen, I know we're talking big concepts today, but I want to try to illustrate what does it mean for Jesus to be God, to be gotten of the Father? I was thinking this week about a story about growing up and how my mom would always ask me if I wanted to see the video of me and my brother being born. I have a twin brother, and they have a video of both of us coming out of the womb. By the way, I did get my mom's permission to share the story. If some of you are wondering, you're like, geez, you're like kind of throwing your mom under the bus today. No, no, I, I asked, she said yes. She just, she asked me, she's like, as long as you tell them that there's nothing inappropriate in the video, everything's covered. I'm like, yes, absolutely. So it's this really special video for my mom that she has. Um, I'm, you know, I'm really thankful. It's this, this beautiful memory for her. And it's just this video of my brother and I being born. And in one sense, the, fa- the son coming from the father is like that. In another sense, it's not like that. What, what do I mean? Well, the Son is begotten of the Father, so he, he's the same nature, the same essence, the same substance as the Father. He is God. So my mom's a human. I'm a human too. 
We are the same nature. So the Father is God. That means the Son is begotten of the Father. Jesus is God as well. But there's also a sense in which the Son being begotten of the Father is totally different. Because, you know, for all of us here, there was a time when you didn't exist, and then you were conceived, and then you were born. Well, for the Son of God, there was no point in time where he came into existence. Why? Because he's always existed from eternity. This is the word was with God and the word was God. This is incredible. I think God, uh, I'm talking big doctrine about what does it mean for Jesus to be God. There might be some of us here who you hear about Jesus being God and you're like, come on, really? You're telling me that Jesus of Nazareth, a Middle Eastern Jew from 2000 years ago, you're telling me that guy with God, really? Our modern culture often struggles here. We love to think about Jesus as a nice teacher, a good guy, someone that we go to in times of crisis, but we really struggle with the idea that he could actually be God over everything. To some people, that just seems far-fetched. You know, come on, he just, he claimed to be God just so he could start a religion. How do you actually know that he's God? I think there's a really helpful explanation here that C.S. Lewis, he's a British intellectual that we quote in almost every sermon. Sorry about that. Another C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, but C.S. Lewis talks in his book, Mere Christianity, he talks about how do we actually know that Jesus is God? And he lays out three options for who Jesus could be. Jesus could either be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. But the only option that's not on the table is a nice person. Jesus could not just be a good moral teacher and just a nice historical figure. Why is that? It's because Jesus himself claimed to be God. Jesus came, we'll, we'll look at this later in the Gospel of John, but we'll see these statements where Jesus says, I am that's the way in Jewish thought, that's, that's how God talks about himself. To say, I am, it's to say, I'm God. So Jesus claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis, the way he says it is that if you, if you claim to be God and you're not, that's the equivalent of calling yourself a poached egg. <laughs> if you claim to be God and you're not, either you are lying to people, you're just lying. You're just trying to deceive people to start a religion. I don't know, maybe you want money. You're trying to use people. I don't know. So either you're a liar or you're a lunatic. Like you're genuinely convinced you're God and you're not. Like you are just self-deceived. Or the third option is you are Lord over everything. You are actually God. And from all the historical evidence, it seems pretty clear Jesus is not a liar or a lunatic. You look at the Jesus movement, the movement that Jesus created. You look at his teachings. He was a teacher who taught us to love one another, to care. It seems by all accounts, he was neither a liar nor a lunatic. Some people will object and be like, hey, come on, come on, come on. He could be a legend, right? This could all just be a legend. People just made this up. You know, the, the Jesus movement, people are like, let's write some nice stories about this guy named Jesus. And they just start writing all their stories down. Well, Aaron talked about this last week. There's actually a huge mountain of evidence that the Bible is historically reliable. I'd encourage you, maybe if you're kind of wrestling with, how do you know the Bible's reliable? Is it, is it not? I'd encourage you, go listen to Aaron's message from last week. He talked all about this, gave a great explanation. There's so much historical evidence that the Bible is not a book of legends. It is historical fact. And so Jesus is neither a legend, a liar, nor a lunatic. Therefore, he must be Lord over everything. He must be God himself who's come to love us. It's so important for us that Jesus is God. It, it, it changes everything for us. If Jesus truly is God, one way you could say it is that Jesus, if Jesus is God by nature, which he is, then you and I can be children of God by grace. It's only if Jesus is the son of God by nature that you and I can be children of God by grace. 
John explains this so well in verses 12 through 13. You can read them with me. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What John is saying is that before Jesus, we were spiritual orphans. We were separated from God. We, we were far from him. We were, we, were, we were distant from him. But because Jesus is the son of God, who's come to love us through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, when we believe in that, we become children of God. We become adopted and loved. My sister Megan and my brother-in-law Caleb, a few years ago, they decided to start foster care. And so they were going through this process and they ended up fostering four kids for two years. And so these were four kids who, um, who for a time were orphaned. They didn't have parents who were able to take care of them. And so what my sister and brother-in-law did is they, they became their parents. They became their foster parents to love them, to provide for them, to care for them. They went from no parents to now being loved by mom and dad. What John is saying is that that's what Jesus has done for us. What Jesus has done is because he's the son of God by nature, he has come, died, lived a perfect life in our place, died on the cross and risen again so that you and I are no longer spiritual orphans. So we can receive the full love, the care, the affection, the attention of the father and the son and the spirit. That's what we get simply by believing in Jesus. This is beautiful. This, the fact that Jesus is God has massive ramifications for our lives. So Jesus, he is God. But there's also, there's a second truth that John communicates to us about who is Jesus? Who, why is Jesus so important? What makes him so beautiful? We, so we know he's God, we've covered that. But I want to also look at Jesus is our creator. Jesus is creator of everything in the universe. Everything that, you're, that you see around you, Jesus made that. Let me show you in John 1, 3. John says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. John is saying everything that exists in the universe that was made through Jesus. John's emphasizing the, the end of that verse in the Greek, he's, he's being so strong and saying not a single thing that, it, that was made was made without Jesus. Jesus is the creator over everything. He's, he's made everything in the universe. That means that every human being, every, every plant and every animal, that means every mountaintop, every ocean, everything from the smallest molecule to the largest galaxy, all of that was Jesus. All of that was made through him. Isn't that amazing? Is that not remarkable? That Jesus is creator over everything that was made. To be really clear, what I'm not saying here is that one day, Jesus decided, you know what? I'm tired of the Father and the Spirit. I'm going to go make stuff. And so Jesus, he runs off, and the Father and the Spirit are like, no, don't do it. And Jesus is like, a universe. I've made it. And the Father and the Spirit are like, well, I guess we have to like be God over this now. That's not what I'm saying. Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're three persons, but they're one God. That means everything they do, they do together. Everything the Father, the Son, and the Spirit do, they do together. Why? Because they're one God. They work together. They work inseparably. Everything they do, they do together. There's a verse, Psalm 33, 6, that I think captures this really well. Let me read it real quick. Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breadth of his mouth, all their host. 
basically, I've tried to make it really clear on the screen here that when this psalm says, by the word, that's the son, of the Lord, that's the father, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath, that's the spirit, breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Everything that was made was made by father, son, and spirit. They do it all together. Why? Because they're one God. They can't work separately. They, they, everything they do, they do together. It's so important that Jesus is our creator, that Jesus has made everything in the universe. I want to think through a moment what some of the, some of the big implications about what it means for Jesus to be creator. And feel free, you can take a picture of this slide if that's helpful. Maybe you're trying to take notes to write it down. Feel free, it's totally okay to like break out your camera and just take a picture of it. Um, but I also want to talk about what it means, some of the big implications that Jesus has got over everything. So we know that, yes, Jesus, he does everything he creates. He's created with the Father and the Spirit. But also, I think there are big implications here about what it means that Jesus is God. Maybe, maybe you've had someone come to you before, and they've actually they've brought up this passage, John 1, 1 through 2, and they said, hey, you know, that English translation you have is really bad. They said, the Greek says something different. Actually, what that, what that passage means is that, that it doesn't mean that Jesus is God. It kind of means something else. It maybe means that Jesus was a God or Jesus was something else. And so they'll try to convince you about, hey, if you only knew Greek, you would, you would actually, you know, you wouldn't be dumb anymore and you would finally know Jesus isn't God. Well, let's be honest. When people come and try to make that argument, most of the times they don't know Greek and most of us don't know Greek either. That is totally okay. What I want to give you right now, though, is how would, how would you respond to that? If someone's like, hey, you know, that, it, the Bible's not saying Jesus is God. Well, there, it, if Jesus is creator over everything, that also means that he must be God over everything. Let's unpack that a little bit. I heard this illustration from one pastor, David Platt. And so I want to put it up on the screen. It's a little chart, a little T-chart about, imagine with me, if, if you're making a chart of everything in everything that exists, and on one side you put everything that's uncreated, and on the other side, you put everything created. So everything that's uncreated, that is God. <laughs> God is the only, the only being who is uncreated. And then everything on the other side is everything that was created. You and I, everything in the universe, planets, human beings, all of that. And let's say I gave you a quarter. And I asked you, to, I, I said, put this quarter on the side of that chart that Jesus belongs on. If Jesus is creator over everything, where does Jesus go? If he made everything that exists, which side do you put him on? He must go, he's got to go on the left side, right? Jesus must be uncreated. Why? Because he made everything. You can't make yourself. He made everything that exists. John is saying everything that was made, it was made through Jesus. Therefore, Jesus must be uncreated. He must be God. So, you can file that away. Next time someone tries to tell you Jesus isn't God, well, hey, he's creator of everything. Therefore, he must be God. What does that mean for us? If Jesus created everything, what are the implications for our lives? Listen, if Jesus created us, then we, we weren't just made by him, but we also exist for him. If Jesus made us, that means everything in our life is really about Jesus. That means he is Lord over everything in our lives. I love the way that Colossians 1 says this. Colossians 1.16, it says, this is talking about Jesus. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Not only was everything created through Jesus, it was also created for him. 
We exist for Jesus because he's our creator. When an artist draws a painting, that painting belongs to her. When an author writes a book, that book belongs to him. Jesus is the one who formed each of us in his image. That means you and I, we belong to Jesus. We exist for Jesus. Jesus is the very purpose of our lives. Everything we do is about him. This means to know him, to love him, to give up everything for him. Jesus is the most precious thing in life. We exist for him. I know oftentimes in my own heart, and and also I hear from some of you, that it's easy for our hearts to become cold to Jesus. We can become apathetic toward him. Is that fair? You feel that in your own life? It can be easy that maybe you're trying to read your Bible and you feel like, you know, this is just, this is kind of boring. Or maybe you're praying, and at least for me, my mind can wander and just be all over the place. There are times that my heart feels cold toward God. But what John is telling us is that Jesus is our creator, and therefore we exist for him. He is our purpose, our meaning. He's the one who made us. You wouldn't exist without him. You wouldn't be able to keep living. You wouldn't be able to have breath in your lungs without Jesus. I want that to go deep into your heart. I want that to, to, to make our hearts warm, to, make, to ignite our hearts with a passion for Jesus. That he's Lord over everything. We exist for him. Would you, would you lift your heart up to love Jesus more, to adore him, to see how incredible he is based on that? We know Jesus is our creator. He's the creator over everything, that ex- the everything in the universe. And Jesus, he is also God. Well, there's one more thing that I want us to see about Jesus, okay? We've almost made it through. These big ideas we're talking about. There's one more big idea that I want us to see. And it's, it's this third truth. It's that Jesus is our incarnate savior. He is truly God and John, uh, we, we won't read it, but let me just summarize John 1, 4 through 5. It says that the light is shining in the darkness. Jesus, he's this light shining in the darkness. John, what does that mean? What does it mean that light is shining in darkness? To briefly summarize, John, we'll see this all throughout his gospel, but John, he, he loves talking about darkness. What he's talking about is sin, brokenness, the, the, the ways that the world is broken, both by our own sin and by Satan. We'll see that throughout the gospel. Darkness is really important. And what he's saying is that Jesus is light breaking into our darkness. Jesus, he doesn't have any sin. He's perfect. And what Jesus did is he not only shone into our darkness, but John 1 verse 9, we'll read it. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John says, into our darkness, into our brokenness, our sin, our messiness, our issues, the light broke into that. The light came into that. John, what do you mean by that? How can light come into darkness? What does it mean for light to break in? John actually explains that in John 1.14, and he gives us one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. This is John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what he says. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, Jesus took on human flesh. The invisible God became visible. God from all eternity, the uncreated God, took on created flesh. I love there's one pastor, Charles Spurgeon, who says that the infinite became infant. The infinite God came as a little baby boy in a manger so that he could save you and I. The word took on flesh. Does that mean, I want to be really clear here. Does the fact that Jesus took on flesh, does that mean that Jesus, he stopped being God? Jesus was like, hey, I'm kind of tired of being God. It's too much work. Let me just become a human being. I'm going to take on flesh and I'll just be a human being from here on out. No, that's not what it means. He, he, he's still truly God, like he's been from all eternity, but then he took on humanity. One of the big implications of this, this means that Jesus is both God and man. This means that he is God robed in human flesh, that he is truly God and truly man. Maybe you're wondering, you're like, hey, okay, he's both God and man. You're saying that he's both of those things. So what, is he like, is he half God? There's like half of Jesus is God and the other half is man. No, that, that, that's also not quite right. You're like, well, is he just a mixture? Do you like put God and man together in a pot and just like kind of stir it up a little bit? And you're like, okay, now there's this weird thing that's like, it's not really God and it's not man. It's not either of them. No, <laughs> Jesus, he's truly God and truly man. To say it really specifically, the divine person of the son of God took on a human body and a human soul. He came in the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Truly God and truly man. He is both of those things. Around Christmas time, people often put up cradles with little baby Jesus in them. And it's cute, okay? It looks nice. It's, it's fun. It's a way to, that a lot of people will celebrate Christmas. You know, it's, it's a fun holiday. Some people will give gifts and will celebrate. And we'll think, oh, isn't that so sweet? Little baby Jesus in his cradle. And it is, it is, it is really. Babies are great. But John is saying, Jesus is so much more than just a a precious little baby in a cradle. John is saying that little baby is God himself. He is saying that baby is light breaking into our darkness. That little baby is God incarnate. God come to save us from our sins. This is remarkable. This is so profound. John, he's teaching us about the incarnation, what it means for Jesus to take on human flesh. One of the, one of the implications of this John says in John 1.14, he says that because the word became flesh, that means that we have seen the glory of God. I want to I pause on that for a minute. What does it mean to see the glory of God? Is that not, is that not incredible? Brandon, was, we were chatting this morning, and he was just pointing out to me, this is something we're going to see again and again and again through John's gospel, that Jesus, he shows us the glory of God. He reveals it to us. But what does that mean? What does it mean to show God to us? I know for me as a kid, I would ask my parents, I'm like, how come we can't see God? If God have you ever wondered that? As a kid, I was like, hey, mom, dad, like, why, why can't we see God? If he really exists, where is he? Why can't we see him? Well, it, it, I didn't understand as a kid that God is invisible because he's spirit, so he's immaterial. You can't, you can't literally see the essence of God. But what John is saying is that Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Jesus took on human flesh so that we could see God so we could literally see him, know him, so we could hear God speak to us. This is incredible. 
Jesus is telling us, what, what John is telling us about Jesus here is that we can truly know God because Jesus took on human flesh. You could, you could say it like this, that because we have the incarnation of God, that means that we now have revelation from God. Jesus taking on flesh, he is revealing God to us. He's showing God to us. We don't know God the way that God knows himself, but we can truly know God because Jesus took on flesh. There's this great story in the Old Testament. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard the story before about Moses in Exodus chapters 33 through 34. Moses, he asks God, he says, hey God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. And it's this kind of crazy story because God's like, hey Moses, slow down a little bit. You can't, you can't actually see me. That would kill you. You can't fully come into my presence because you're sinful. And I'm so holy that it, 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 you can't do that. But he does tell Moses, God's like, hey Moses, come up to this mountain. Come up to this mountaintop. And I'm going to show you a little bit about, you, about who I am. And so Moses, he goes up to the mountaintop and says that God passed by. Moses was hid behind the rock, but he got to see the back of God. It's this amazing passage. Moses, he comes down from the mountain. His face is like glowing. Like, Moses, do you get like exposed to radiation? Like, what's going on, Moses? But he comes down from the mountain. His face is glowing. They have to put a veil over him. And so Moses, all Moses got was just to see God's back. But what John is saying is that through Jesus, we have something so much better. We are able to see the very glory of God because God took on human flesh. God, he became one of us. He became a human being. And so now we can see God. We can see his glory. We can see, we can actually know him. We can truly know him for who he is. Another, another way to kind of get at this is that the incarnation of God, God taking on human flesh, it is the ultimate example of God. It is one of the ultimate examples of the love of God for us. Think with me for a moment. Let's say if whenever I wanted to propose to my wife, Alex. Let's say, instead of going myself, I grabbed a friend of mine and said, hey, could you, like, could you go pass the message along to her? Like, hey, I'll even, I'll write it down. I just want you to go chat with her, okay? I'll, I'll, here's the ring. You go, you, you tell the message to her, okay? You do it in my place. Can you imagine? Listen, Alex would dump me on the spot. We'd be done, relationship broken, over. But what we see in the gospel is that God came himself. God didn't just send someone else. God took on human flesh. He became a human being. He came to save us, to rescue us. This is, this is one of the ultimate examples of love, that God actually became man. He became a human being to show his love to us. John tells us is that there are only two ways that we can respond to this. The fact that God took on human flesh, there are really only two responses. John gives us one of the responses in verses 10 through 11. This is what he says. He says that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. In context, what John is getting at is that there, you know, God's people at that time, the Jewish people that Jesus came and some of them believed in Jesus, but others did not believe in Jesus. He was rejected by them. And so John is saying is that when Jesus came in human flesh, that some rejected him. They chose not to believe in him. Listen, maybe that's you today. You've heard a lot about Jesus. And maybe Jesus to you, he's a nice idea. Or maybe Jesus is a terrible idea to you. 
Maybe you're like, I, I'm kind of done. Maybe the way you feel is like, I'm just kind of done with Jesus. I'm tired of that. Listen, I don't want you to reject Jesus. I want you to see how much he loves you, that he came and took on humanity in your place. He has shown, he's revealing God to you. He created you. He's gone over everything. I don't want you to reject him. But without Jesus, we are left as spiritual orphans with no heavenly father. But through Jesus, you can have a, a divine father who loves you fully, a father with whom you are fully known and fully loved. I want that for you. Listen, if, if you're here and up until this point, you've kind of rejected Jesus, I want you to believe in him today. See that he took on human flesh and lived a perfect life that you couldn't live and then went to the cross in your place. He took a punishment for our mistakes that we couldn't pay. He took it in our place on the cross. And then he rose again so that by believing in him that we could have life, so we could become children of God. One response would be rejecting Jesus. But, God, but what John shows us is that there's a second response. Look, look with me at John 1, 16 through 17. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What does that word grace mean? Grace is unmerited favor. It is undeserved love. It's something that we didn't earn that's given to us. And what John says, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Simply by believing in Jesus, you get grace upon grace upon grace. You get infinite grace when you put your ultimate trust, your ultimate dependence on Jesus, on his perfect life and his death and resurrection you get grace from God. You get completely forgiven. Don't you want that? Listen, maybe, maybe you're a Christian already and maybe before God, you feel guilty. You feel ashamed and you feel like God must just hate you. God must be done with you. He must be tired of you. Listen, because of Jesus, you have grace upon grace. And that grace comes into our lives and it transforms us so we can live a life of obedience to God. Jesus came to give us grace and truth. One way you could say it is that the son of God became a human being so that human beings could become sons and daughters of the one true God. I want you, if you're already a Christian, I want you to rest in that. I want you to find your comfort. I want you to find your hope in that, that you are son or daughter of the one true God. He loves you. He cares for you so deeply. And if you haven't believed in Jesus yet, I want you to put your faith in that. Believe in him. Become a child of God today. There's this beautiful scene in C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian. If you're not familiar with Chronicles of Narnia, basically there's, uh, there's a group of kids and one of them is named Lucy. And there's this lion called Aslan. And this lion, he represents Jesus. It's the metaphor about who Jesus is. And so there's a scene in one of the books, Prince Caspian, when Lucy, she, she finally, she gets to see Aslan. And she's talking with Aslan and she's like, Aslan, you're, you're bigger. Why are you bigger? Are you bigger? And what Aslan says to her is, no, I'm not bigger. But every year you grow, I will be bigger to you. That's what Jesus is to us. Every year we grow, Jesus becomes bigger and bigger to us. We get to see how incredible he is, how beautiful he is. Listen, I want that for all of us. I want that for me and for you. I want you to be amazed by Jesus. I want your heart to beat for him. 
I want you to love him passionately. I want you to live your life for him. Listen, John wants us to see just how incredible Jesus is. Jesus, he's God over everything. He's our creator and he is our incarnate savior. He's the one who's come to save us. Let's, let's make Jesus so much bigger in our lives. Let's see just how incredible he is. Let's pray.